Coming to you from Boise, Idaho, the fastest growing city in the U.S. and recognized as one of the most creative and vibrant cities to live in. This is a special edition of Enhancing the Human Experience, a World of Creativity, a series of unique interviews with successful people from around the globe, how they get inspired, where their ideas come from, and how they apply creativity in their business and personal lives. Now, here's your host, Mark Phillips, along with special guest interviewer, Mark Stinson. Welcome to another episode of Enhancing the Human Experience, A World of Creativity. I'm Mark Phillips. I'm here with Mark Stinson. Welcome, Mark. Hey, how are you doing? Great. Well, when we talk about a world of creativity, we've got a great example of it today. Uh, we've got Bob Bowers uh, in Austin, Texas, and we've got Christian Sirocco in Madrid, Spain. And... Uh, both of these guys are uh, really idea machines, you know, in my mind. Uh, I've known Bob for uh, nearly five years, had a chance to partner up with him and his company. Uh, we even published a book uh, last month together called Patient Activation. Bob is a founder and CEO of a company called 83 Bar. Uh, but that only begins to describe, you know, his sort of business and serial entrepreneurship Um and uh, we're, we're going to get into a lot of this, but uh, Bob has an idea minute for a business idea. I love it. And uh, he, he's one to keep up with. Uh, I've known uh, Christian, uh, became acquainted with him probably since 2008. Uh, he was a, um, a board member of the Asia Brand Congress out of Mumbai, India. I had a chance to go to Mumbai and uh, speak to this uh, branding conference. And again, uh, I, I have a sense that Christian... Uh, dreams in brands. Um, he is a very uh, prolific writer, uh, many articles, uh, many points of view. He's got some great newsletters. I've always admired uh, Christian's uh, sort of brand leadership in this regard, uh, some great surveys on you know, what people think a leading brand is, and uh, I, getting into the idea of even brands in a culture of a company. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we've got a great uh, program Sounds lined like up. Uh, welcome, Bob. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to Good talk to you. Here. Yeah. What, tell us a little bit about what's going on with 83 Bar these days and uh, what, what you're working on. Well, 83 Bar is uh, sort of the idea was about five years ago that there's an interesting way and a systematic way to get patients to not only um, learn about new things, but also take action and um, begin to manage their own health care. And so um, through the course of the last five years, uh, some, with some of your help actually uh, as well, we've, we've developed a pretty programmatic, systematic way to make sure that patients are empowered, that once they learn about something, they can actually uh, in a predictable manner begin to take action and better their own health. And it's gone fairly well. I mean, we have a significant, uh, we had several significantly large uh, pharma and medical device companies engaging us now, and uh, a fair amount of new patients um, going on therapy that probably wouldn't have found out about it. And if they found out about it, wouldn't know how to even begin to, to start um, the process. So, you know, it, as consumers become much more the drivers of their own healthcare in the United States, I think it becomes really important that if you're a consumer, you have to know how to be a consumer. It's not an innate thing in a very complicated industry. So um, that's sort of the mission we think about every morning when we wake up. 
Oh, that's fantastic. And, and Christian, uh, you're, you're a founder of a consulting group called Allegro 234, uh, but you also have another uh, variety of interests. Uh, but I'm curious uh, how things are developing right now for you at Allegro 234. Yeah. Uh, hello, Mark. Mark and Bob. Uh, uh, I could say that uh, things are going well in, in uh, Allegro 234, we began something like uh, 16 years ago here in Spain. Uh, I'm a foreigner here, so, so I, I, I began from scratch. And, and with the idea uh, of not talking about branding uh, as something uh, which is uh, completely ununderstandable by, by our clients. So we began to talk uh, in terms of business about branding telling them uh, or explaining them how they can grow through uh, their brands. And we began doing that. We developed beautiful cases. And right now uh, we are also developing beautiful cases where we are not only talking about branding, but uh, also about uh, a new way of understanding the customer journey, the experience they are living, and in that uh, sense, we are also developing new products and services in, with uh, neobanks or uh, also with a business school here in Spain. So uh, we are doing well, I would say. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, I, I, I think one of the things that uh, you both have in common that I wanted to explore a little bit is that uh, what you said, Christian, that, you know, you started this business from scratch. You know, the business itself was an idea, you know, and to turn that idea into a seed of a business and then you have to nurture it and water it and, and tend to it and grow it and uh, keep the mission and keep the vision. Uh, I, I'm curious to hear from both of you how, how you keep the idea in focus over the years and, all, and over the changes in the business climate. I could say that... that uh we we don't only nurture our idea but we discover that although we are maintaining a certain purpose uh our concepts of how uh, we serve our clients uh, are evolving so uh, it's not only a question of, of looking for new products and services, but also uh, we are evolving in, in the way we are serving traditional products and, and re, uh, redefining those services, uh, but actually maintaining their souls. I, I'm not, I really don't know if I'm extremely clear with that. Uh, but but the, the, the idea is... Uh, we had an idea uh, was to talk about branding uh, under a business point of view. We maintain that uh, with a clear purpose uh, because when we are talking about business, for example, we are talking about the triple board online. Uh, so we are considering several issues in addition to profits. Uh, but uh, the concepts uh, behind the scene, uh, I would say that are uh, clearly evolving uh, 
and changing, I don't know if every day, but certainly twice or three times per year. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and Bob, what about you? Uh, From from idea to a real company and and making it an enterprise, how how do you stay focused on the big idea? Well, I think... What I found works for for me personally is that I just personalize the idea. I, I when we get into a, a market, whether it's this or some of my previous companies, in my brain I try to figure out exactly who that person or persons we're going to be helping are, and create sort of that persona in my brain. Um, so to the point where I feel like I'm obligated, and all decisions and and um, obligated to make it work for them. So in the case of what we're doing now at 83 Bar, I think about several of my relatives who needed access to medical devices or or medication and didn't really know where to turn, didn't have, before I intervened, they didn't really have anybody in the medical business that they knew, and how lost and and, um, sort of out of of the uh, mainstream they felt. And I, I think about them almost every decision we make with the company because I figured that if you focus on the core constituency, the idea burns deep and passionate because you're actually helping in your mind, you're actually helping some, an individual in reality, if you do that for that individual in your mind, it's really translating to helping many, many people that are in that same situation. So that tends to keep it focused. Um, it, it certainly worked for me in this business and has worked in uh, previous businesses that I had since like fibromyalgia and fatigue centers that was all focused on four or five of the first patients we saw. And, and really every decision was based on um, trying to focus back on realizing what they were going through and trying to help them get through it. Mm-hmm. So this idea of really making it personal so that you can envision the individual, the person that you're trying to, to serve. Right. And then so, so it becomes personal on, on a level of building the business to a critical mass, right? So you, you're getting to a level where you can actually help take care of that person in your brain. And then what it becomes after that is you take that person and start multiplying them. And that's how you start to think about how do I scale? How do I help many of these type of people? And that becomes the next level of scale. And then obviously the last level of scale is, you know, how do I help, you know, thousands of these people? So if you think about it in magnitudes, it's single and then tens to hundreds and then, and then how do I help thousands? And if you, if you keep that focused, it changes the idea a little bit because obviously as you scale up to help thousands and thousands of people, it has to become much more regimented, much more sort of systematic and predictable. Um, rather, it has to become science rather than art. But, um, you know, if, it's a, if, you, if you work on the art well at the small level, the science becomes sort of an art by itself. Yeah. And, you know, um, and what about translating that passion or that personalization, you know, to a team, to a staff, to a company? Let's talk about that kind of scaling. Um, is Is it finding the right people? Is it instilling that mission into them once they've joined the organization? Uh, maybe there's a bit of a chicken and the egg there, but, uh, how do you get everyone to buy into that idea? It's interesting because I think all businesses go through a metamorphosis and, and um, a process that in the beginning, when you start a company, uh, you're looking for a specific type of person um, that can focus on a goal without a lot of roles and without a lot of constraints. 
And so I always say this, and it's it's probably the worst part of running businesses um, by far. It's it's the worst part for me, and that is that the people who can get you to the first through the first part are oftentimes not the people who can get you through the second part because they're two different people. And quite frankly, I'm limited even in the second part. So um, the the when you're building when you're building one of these businesses that has a personal stake and you're trying to get something done that's big and hasn't been done before or has been done very poorly before, the early early employees you need are people who can think independently, make calculated risks, not be afraid to take um, chances and situations, and also focus on not what's been done before, but what can be done. And so at the end of the, so as you're coming through that development period, you're sort of breaking all the rules and you're developing new pathways. It's, it's sort of like somebody who has a heart attack. Oftentimes you get arteries will start to rebuild around the heart and flow path, blood flow pathways will start to rebuild. That's what you have to do in the beginning of a business. You have to just make sure that you're not just repeating what somebody else did, but you're off, all, um, oftentimes fixing what they did or um, building new pathways to do what they did. Now, as you come through the initial startup, and that startup can range anywhere from, you know, when you hit five, 10, 15, 20 million dollars worth of revenue, depending on the business, then you get to a point where it needs to start to scale and become predictable. And that's when you have to figure out there's a couple people, a small minority of people can transfer from that unstructured, free thinking environment to the um, environment that comes next, which requires structured thinking and predictability and replica, uh, the ability to replicate systems. And so that's that's always the trick. I think to me, there's two parts to these businesses um, to keep an idea alive. The first part is you need the people who can create it and, and sort of nurture it and grow it to a teenager. And then you need the second team is really the people who could take the 20 year old and uh, mature it into an adult. Um, and that's the way sort of I look at keeping businesses alive. They're not necessarily the same people, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Two different kinds of thinking yeah. and approach. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, no, Christian. Uh, yeah, you you founded the company with kind of a small uh, group of senior consultants. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you're organized, and again, the question being, how do you keep the central idea, you know, in focus as you grow and add people and add clients? Uh, okay, when when we began. Uh, actually, uh, we established, uh, I would say, to make it simple, a, a two-step process to, to, to have people on board. Uh, the first one was, uh, and, and is actually, uh, to know the, the person and not their capabilities and, and to see if we can work, stay and drink a beer with that person. And we spend a lot of time in that, talking and, and looking for uh, if we personally can be connected. And, and the second step, obviously, uh, is to see if they have the, the capabilities and, and the kind of professional level we are expecting from that uh, person. And actually, that approach uh, is at least working with us. I would say that 80% of, of our little team, because uh, as you said, 
we we are a, a little uh, professional uh, senior uh, staff. Eighty uh, percent of, of it, we we are working together uh, during the, the last, in average, during the last twelve years. So so it's a very stable team, and actually we are friends, uh, and that's the 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 good reason that why we are uh, in the same frequency when we are talking uh, and when we are working together and when we try to 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 tell other people what our culture is how we manage the projects and all that stuff we are in the same line so that's good that's that's very helpful mm. So I'd like to uh, to turn to the idea generation process for a second, and uh, thinking about you know where ideas come from, and we often have this phrase, "The idea came to me," mm-hmm. as if I was a magnet and the idea found me. Uh, but I know Christian, you also, you include sort of anthropology as a as a skill or a capability in your group. That where you're not waiting for the idea to come to you, you're going out to find ideas. You know, how, how do you balance those two? Do ideas come to you, or do you have to go out and find the idea? Uh, I think we, we are using both ways. Uh, actually, uh, the, there are, uh, in certain moments, needs for inspiration in, in, in all this process, and we have to go and look for, for new ideas. And what is interesting on that is that some sometimes we go to look for those ideas in history and art, and we try to discover what was happening hundreds of years ago, and we discover that we can evolve those those concepts and translate into new ideas, and there it begins a, a kind of ideation process, which is good. Uh, so most of the time we, we go to look for ideas. Uh, ideas come by intuition. Yeah, they could come, by, but I, I would say that most of the time we are looking for and not waiting that the ideas come like something. Mm-hmm. They are in the air. Right, right. Bob, what about you? Kind of how does it work for you? I think it comes by compression. And compression meaning that we go to you go to a client or you're underneath significant pressure to something's not working. And I always find that the best ideas, the accumulation of um, the stuff that really moves the needle always happens because of a significant urgent um, need whether we're trying to get a client and we're trying to figure out how to be differentiated or we're trying to do something that that's really um, struggling with the client. If you go to your normal set of toolbox and your normal toolbox not working, that's your default brain position, right? So once you, once you run through all the tools and none of the tools work, it sort of creates another spark that we have to go and figure out, okay, how am I going to get this done? Or the other thing in, in terms of doing startups my whole life, there's always that whole moment where the business you know, I, I think every every one of these startup businesses has two or three life or death moments where you're either going to make it or you're not going to make it. Right. And, <laughs> yeah, and I find those, um, you know, I find those to be really compelling moments for you to be able to develop uh, concepts. 
and and ideas. So I always thought about it as ideas as a compression type thing. When when you sort of run out of the toolbox or you're at a life or death moment, the normal playbook's not going to work. And then all of a sudden, things that you wouldn't have normally thought of become viable. And mm-hmm. that's when you start to reach. And that's when you start. This idea that you you know you're looking for a solution. Mm-hmm. Some something's got to fix this problem. I, I like the toolbox analogy. Yeah, and I you can know. certainly relate to that. When the pressure, are you saying that when the when the pressure is on, you you dig deeper, Bob, or you find a new a new path to find a new solution? Is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely, and I think I think it's even a little bit more than that. I think you're forced to, right? I mean, there, mm. as we go through our normal lives, our normal business lives, um, or any any part of our life, things become complacent. And they become easy. And so you're, when you're not, your brain gets stretched when it, when it needs to be stretched. And when you're up against the wall and you need to make something happen and, um, or somebody has a problem and you're really trying to solve it, but nothing else normal solves it, that's when the constraints come off. And when the constraints come off, when, when everything around you is not working and everything you know in your recall is not working, well, then then you're sort of removed to those boundaries. And when those boundaries leave your brain, there's all kinds of interesting stuff that starts to happen. When you start asking about when this, the what ifs start to become the desperation, what ifs there, there's a lot of um, really interesting genius type stuff that's found in those desperation. What ifs. That's very, and and like you said, some of it might come intuitively, but let's talk uh, about the tools for a second. Do do you have a, a go-to thinking method or, you know, I draw nine boxes on a piece of paper or Mm -hmm. I draw a triangle and, you know, here's the three points. I mean, what, even if you don't do it physically, do do you have a mental process. process that you feel like is a problem solving creative tool? Yeah, I tend to do use a three by three grid. So uh, if what I'll do is I'll take a pen and paper and just draw out a three by three grid and the upper left hand point will be the problem sort of above the grid will be the problem. And then I typically tend to think in threes. And so if you think about um, on the, the left hand side, I'll put down what I think might work. The right hand side, the next, the middle column, like a tic tac toe board. The middle column would be why it why it would work, and then the um, right side of the column would the outside part of the tic tac toe board is be why it wouldn't work, and that's sort of a scoring system that I use for myself. And part of it is because it, when the boundaries and sort of the restraints are off, you start to. I don't. I guess I'm not I'm sure this sort of happens to everybody, but the amount of idea flow starts to become significant. Like it feels like you can't think of anything to do, and then all of a sudden it becomes significant. And when it becomes significant, you want to get sort of the the number two, number one, number two, and number three that out of your head, and then start to work through the flow. And I often find that the solution comes from those fir- first three that I write down, and it's usually a hybrid of those three. Um, and it usually comes from figuring out why it will work and why it won't work and working those combinations together. I, it's just something that I've done for a long time. It, I'm sure everybody else has a different pattern or methodology to do it, but that has worked fairly well for me. Yeah. Christian, do you have a, a go-to method or tool? Yeah, I would say that, that we have some sort of methodological framework or, some, or something like that. Um, the, the first uh, step is, is we, we try to establish certain objectives and goals 
to, to be achieved and see if we can create with those goals uh, what we call a creative tension. So uh, is uh, to create enough tension to move uh, our brains to generate a new idea, but not too much tension to block people uh, and generate a sort of frustration. So uh, having those goals in, in mind, we, we follow what we call the ABCDE process. Uh, A from anticipation, where we look for trends and what is happening in different industries, sectors, and whatever, uh, to understand what is going on. And then we began to the B, which is blending ideas. Uh, and in that way, we use uh, kiddish processes as uh, making collage or uh, playing with Legos and building blocks to, 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 to try to convert our concepts into physical ideas. Uh, and then we began with the C, which is create uh, different concepts. And we work with those concepts till the moment we say, well, we are going to, to follow this path and we began to design this new brand idea and then came the e which is execution and we execute what we were thinking and make a used to make a beautiful prototype of our thoughts wow that's great yeah, these are great mm -hmm. you know and, and i ask about these tools because and i'm sure you you both have heard this before but people might say to you oh you're so creative or you know you're you've got so many good ideas or uh you, you must be very you know uh, i don't know different than me because i'm not that creative uh but it, it's interesting christian this a b c d e you know it yes it might come intuitive to you but couldn't it, couldn't anybody look at this and, and improve their own creativity? And maybe this is the basis of my question. Can one become more creative? Mm -hmm. uh, how, how can one develop their creative muscle? Um, Christian, maybe you... I, I, I think you, you can develop certain brain muscles to, to be more creative. Uh, uh, creativity is not a, a question of... Uh, inspiration is it's a question of working uh, it's obvious that you need certain inspiration in, in certain moments but, but but I think you you have to work on that um, uh, that's why before this a B C D e we establish certain goals because if you are not uh, extremely creative uh, 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 and you establish a, a, a high demand of creativeness in your goal, uh, at the end of the day, you are going to be extremely frustrated. So the, I think that the first step uh, and before getting into this A, B, C, D, E is to establish a, a goal that, that you see that you can achieve in terms of creativity. And sometimes to do that with certain clients, and specifically when we are working with, uh, uh, I would say, uh, hard-minded uh, people, 
not soft-minded people. Uh, with, with that people, uh, we used to split their needs in little chapters. So we, we work with them in, in little evolutions and, and not in the uh, telling them that, that they don't need to, to, to create the new iPad. They, they have to, to, to look for a, a very simple solution. And after that solution, we look for another, another, and they began to, to, to work. And, and actually, in certain cases, they arrived to, to beautiful solutions without uh, uh, feeling the restraints or, or that they are not enough creative or something like that, which I think everybody could be as creative uh, as they want. So, so it's a question of effort and work uh, and patience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bob, Bob, how do you see it? Uh, how, how can people improve their creative capability? Well, I think it, and I and I value Christian's very um, systematic approach to it. I think it probably works um, very well. Uh, in an unsystematic approach, that's sort of on a day to day of uh, as a business operator. I think you just have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, writing on the theme of compression beforehand. The, the idea is that compression really is the most uncomfortable position you could be in. It's typically, you know, like we discussed a life or death situation with the business or stuff's not working and you can't get it to work and you're sort of out of ideas. Um, that sense of being uncomfortable is not very pleasant the first time or the 10th time or the even the 100th time. But if you can get your brain into being com- very comfortable being uncomfortable, it tends to feel like it... Um, enables your brain to have much more elasticity in your thinking. And uh, I, I've gotten to a point, I think, in my life where I'm just, I'm, I'm okay being uncomfortable. And that seems to help a lot. So when people say I generate an idea, a lot of ideas, I think it's just because I, I'm not typically, I don't typically fall into a zone of being very comfortable for very long periods of time very easily anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, Bob. I I know that the, that the brain has the capacity to produce infinite ideas, and it, until you put it in a corner and say, "Get to work," right? It sometimes just gets a little bit lackadaisical, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's just a day to day, right? I mean, your your, your day to day life it's fly, fight or flight, right? We're, we're genetically pre programmed for fight or flight. It's really really hard to keep yourself on um, on that level of of sort of awareness. And the only time you're really that aware is when you're really that uncomfortable with what's going on in your life or what's going on around you. And so if you could trick your brain into being that uncomfortable, sometimes it, it certainly treats itself to, you, you get some of your, I, you know, I think what happens more than anything is when you're uncomfortable, you get your native intuition becomes much stronger because if you genetically we're pre-programmed to figure out a situation so you don't get eaten right? Or, or, you know, uh, animals or you, you survive. So if you're uncomfortable, I think that brain gets to that, first of all, that first reaction, native instinct, your gut instincts faster and thin splice is very much quicker. 
And that's a good point. That's great. And then, uh, Christian, uh, both of you have uh, mentioned clients, you know, as an end customer, so to speak. Um, so you've come up with the idea. You've gone through your uh, three columns by three, you know, Bob, uh, Christian, you've gone through your ABCD. But now you have to sell the idea uh, to the client. Um, it seems so obvious to you, I'm sure. The cl- I mean, the creative process you've been through. It's like, hey, this is it. This is the solution. It's so obvious. <laughs> but uh, not everyone might see it as quickly as, as we did. Uh, Christian, how, how do you, I, I'll say, how do you sell an idea? Uh, but I mean, how, how do you then communicate this and instill the same kind of excitement and enthusiasm you might have for the idea into those that are ultimately going to uh, pay for it, fund it, and execute it? Um, I, I could say that that, that it depends. Uh, this is a very consultant answer. Uh, <laughs> it depends of the kind of client. Uh, what we try to see if the the way they behave are uh, inductive or deductive, uh, and depending on that, we we take the decision of how we are going to tell this new idea. If the, the person is very deductive, we, we make a beautiful story and we begin once upon a time and we begin to, to build a story with them till we arrive to the idea and they say, oh, that's great. If they are very inductive, we, we begin with the idea itself. We say, we have this idea. And then we, we give the reasons or, uh, and the rationale behind the idea on how we arrive to that. Anyway, in both cases, and to assure a certain level of success, in our specific case, we used to, to build those ideas together with our clients. So when we arrive to a big idea, it's not, it's not an idea coming from a, a black box. It's coming very obvious for them because they were working with us in the whole process. Mm, I see what you're saying. So you've been bringing them along little by little uh, as yeah. you go. Yeah. And, and we work with them and we sit during hours discussing each part and creating with them. I, I, I very much agree uh, with Bob when he say, well, uh, people has to feel uncomfortable uh, because that uh, when we are uncomfortable, we used to use our intuition. And actually, our intuition, uh, at the end of the day, is a rational, non-executive process of our brain. So uh, uh, we are connecting different ideas to, to produce things. So if you go step by step with your client creating those new ideas and using their intuition in addition to all the information you can gather to, to solve the problem you have between hands, uh, it used to work very well. And then we decide if we are going to tell a beautiful story or we are going to go directly to the results and then give a rationale. I see what you're saying. Mm. Yeah. Bob, what's, what's your approach? How do you uh, get clients on board with these ideas? Well, I think the the first thing is you have to have the right client, right? So if you're going to test an idea, 
Um, you have to, everybody has early adopters and everybody has people who are, they want to make sure that everything's correct and right before they do anything. And so what, what I try to do is I try to work with the early adopters as much as possible because they're risk takers. Even in the corporate environment, there's usually one or two or three people you could work with that will take a risk. Um, the second thing is you try to build it. You know, we always take these ideas and we try to think of ourselves in their shoes and then try to um, present it so that they show benefit. I think sometimes you can show benefit to the business, but there's two, there's really two things you need to be thinking about. I, you have to be showing the, showing the person, the sponsor, you're trying to pick up the idea that you're thinking about not only their business and how you can make their business work better, but you also have to be thinking about how you're going to help their career. Uh, it tends to make the situation work a lot better. Um, when that person, the sponsor is thinking of you is this my partner, this person who's coming to me with this idea is thinking about thinking in a way that can help me um, both today and tomorrow. And he's working on my behalf. So what that does psychologically, I think, is it co-ops them into a co-ownership of the idea really quickly. And, you know, I th- you could you can always see these ideas get traction. Um, you're pitching it. And you're, you're showing them why it works for their business. You're showing them how they would benefit from it ultimately. And at some point, you'll see them latch on and you'll see them start to take the ownership. And at that point, you can feel the momentum flip. And when that momentum flips, then you now have an inside champion that will help you um, carry it home. It doesn't happen all the time. And, and um, I think with every business, I'm sure Christian has sees the same thing. You have probably 25% of your client load is going to be um, people who can see and are willing to look around the corner without knowing what's around the corner. They're the, they're the people you have to isolate on first. Mm-hmm. That's, that's fascinating, Bob. You're, you're diving deep into the psychology, you know, not only selling the idea, but, you know, connecting with them as a, as a human being and as a career person. That's fascinating. I haven't heard that angle before. Yeah. Not, and not just the what's in it for me. Yeah. Kind of, uh, but, but also how does it help me as a person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a very holistic solving. approach. It That's sounds right. Like. Well, maybe maybe shifting uh, uh, abruptly here, but uh, going from the business to maybe a little bit of fun. Uh, both of you guys live in very creative cities. A lot of uh, creative stimuli uh, going on in Madrid and Austin. Uh, earlier, Christian, you talked about you know learning from history and uh, literature and museums and art and. Uh, what what are some of the things, uh, Christian, that you get creative inspiration from and, and enjoy just the fun side of creative thinking? Well, uh, actually, probably because I am an obsessed with my work, uh, I would say that, that the, the other source is the rest of our team because we have a, a very strange kind of professional team. We, we used to work uh, uh, in strategy issues, not only with uh, the traditional approach of economists, engineers, uh, uh, and uh, business administra- administrators and MBAs and all that stuff, but we also work with musicians, uh, with anthropologists, uh, with psychologists and sociologists. So when you have that kind of uh, team 
where you have different backgrounds and different life experiences in the same table, uh, actually, on one hand, you achieve beautiful results. On, on the other hand, you have a lot of fun uh, because uh, the creativeness, you can see that the creativeness uh, is emerging uh, from different sources and, and it's beautiful to see how it flows. That's great. Mm-hmm. Bob, where do you get your, uh, your inspiration? Well, just like Christian, sort of obsessed with the work. Um, spend most of my time mentoring uh, and trying to help other startups and other concepts come to life. And um, Austin, obviously, is a city that has startups on every corner. And there's a lot of deal flow going on and a lot of um, new ideas trying to be born and come to life. So I, I try to focus on, you know, the areas I know, healthcare and marketing and um, in specific uh, healthcare is complex in the U.S. So it takes a while to really get good at it um, and, and try to find those types of startups where you have passionate people who are willing to do what it takes to win, um, but are really trying to figure out their way. And, and my goal is always with them is to try to shorten the pathway because, I, I think a lot of good a lot of good ideas die because they take too long. And as Mark knows, I'm a speed junkie in terms of I, I believe that speed reduces risk at every single level. And so if you can find a startup and you can sort of give them the shortcuts, um, it, they require less money, they get traction faster, and the likelihood that the idea lives into um, full-blown adulthood is significantly stronger. So that's sort of what I spend my time with. And I... By doing that, we end up, you know, having a little bit of ownership in a bunch of different companies, staying connected to them, um, paying attention to them and trying to feed that ecosystem. So when I'm having conversations with others, I'm always trying to figure out how I can put that ecosystem to work and how I can help somebody inside of that ecosystem. So that's there's always ideas. And that's one of the problems with it is, is when you do that, it comes to the other side of this conversation, which is you literally see too many ideas. And, you know, for me, I have to really start to filter out the process um, because I start to see so much um, that it really makes it easier. Like the, creating ideas and coming up with new ideas to start new things or do new things is not really an issue. It's sort of controlling and saying, OK, I only have this much time. What am I going to do with that time? So I think for anybody, anybody who's listening that wants to get who can't think of an idea um, or is really struggling to, to sort of figure out um, creatively what, which direction they want to go. If you immerse yourself in enough of it, it becomes the norm, right? It's, a, it's another psychological trick. It's just a shift. The shift comes from the predictable to the creative. It's just by immersion where your brain starts to get retrained as this is normal. And once, uh, once doing stuff that's crazy every day that doesn't seem normal, gets to be normal, then all of a sudden coming up with ideas is not that hard. Wow. But like you say, filtering it. Yeah. And sometimes how do I turn it off? <laughs> yeah, I asked that question. That's right. I, I've been asked that a lot. I drive down the street with my wife, who, who you guys know. But uh, it's like, oh, my God, turn it off. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I guess that. Yeah, I, but, uh, you know, thinking also then um, – uh, to our theme of a world of creativity. I'm curious uh, how you guys see cultural, global 
similarities or differences? I mean, you're you're working across borders. Uh, you're certainly uh, you know worldly in in your scope. Um, is the world becoming smaller, or are there still, whether it be you know culture or whether it just be traditional thinking, how do different countries, how do different markets, uh, maybe approach creativity? What, what's been your experiences, Bob? Can we start with you? I just think the internet changed everything, right? So you know, I think creativity was probably stifled by knowledge spread. And knowledge spread has become the currency of the world right now. So the ability for anybody at any place to sort of get access and not anybody's an overstatement, but a willing party in a reasonable country can literally get access to all the information that's needed to be creative and, and sort of understand a process and figure something out. So that's to uh, democratize the, the whole knowledge spread. And um, by doing that, there's different viewpoints. And I think what you're seeing, I spend a fair amount of time in Central America. And, and what you're seeing now is where countries like that would, would really normally adopt from a, some, a country like the US or Europe. They're now creating a lot of their own products. And I go down and I see not their own sort of physical brands because they don't have the manufacturing capability, but they're starting to create their own service brands and they're starting to um, produce products and services that actually originate from there. And you'll even see it with some of the um, agricultural products that come out of those countries. Instead of just, just a poor example, but instead of just being pineapple juice, they're starting to build a story and a brand behind that pineapple juice. And they're starting to sell it on in an, um, at least a regional market versus where it was just very much inward looking before. So I think it's coming along. I think you're, you're starting to see it spread faster and it's accelerating. And I think the gap between places that are set up and wired for technology and wired for innovation like the U.S. and Europe and the gap between um, those places and the rest of the world is closing quickly. Mm -hmm. Christian, you're working in uh, Central and South America as well. How are you seeing differences in, in the approach uh, to creative thinking? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, first, I, I agree with, with Bob. Uh, right now, there are certain changes happening uh, due to internet and the access to, to knowledge. Uh, there is a huge democratization of knowledge. However, culturally, uh, I see certain differences. Uh, for example, if you go to Central America, they are very creative, but uh, they go a little slower than the rest of the world because they, they do not have the need. Uh, if you go to the South, if you go to Argentina, which is uh, uh, almost in crisis country, uh, people are so creative because uh, they need to survive to what is going on. So they have to be extremely creative and, uh, and their minds run in a high speed. If you come to Europe and, and see the south of Europe, the south of Europe is very creative, but uh, not uh, too much, I would say, business-oriented. So <laughs> you have a, a huge amount of creativity but uh, 
in certain cases without a huge intention. If you go, for example, to Germany, you are going to discover that they are very creative, but after the creativity comes, they they put the creativity in a, a strong and very mechanical process, and they spend a lot of time with that. As an example of that, I remember in 1995, I was talking with some people working in Mercedes-Benz, and in 1995, they were developed a nitrogen engine uh, with uh, nitrogen fuel cells, uh, and they continue developing that. Uh, but but the, the reality is that Toyota already developed that kind of solutions. There are different solutions in the middle, and they spend a lot of time because they continue following a process which uh, actually kill their creativity. So uh, there are certain differences there. Uh, if you go, I don't know, to Asia Pacific, you see that they are very creative, but they used to base their creativity in their own legacy. So there are cultural uh, things that that change the way they are understanding their creativity and the way they innovate. That's that's very good insight. Yeah. So uh, I'm mindful of our time. What a terrific conversation, and I just want to thank you guys. As we close, I'm curious uh, if people say, you know, hey, I'm looking for some new inspiration. I'm looking for a new book to read. I'm looking for a new podcast uh, besides A World of Creativity. It's a fantastic <laughs> series. But, uh, you know, is there a book, uh, maybe a hidden gem, something that's not on the bestseller list? Uh, what, what book are you reading uh, now, Christian, that you might recommend to folks? Uh, to recommend and that I'm reading right now? Uh, I, I would say I, I, I was reading a, a book. The name is On Purpose. Let me see. Wait me a moment. I can tell you who the author is. And because uh, it, it's uh, it, it's good because uh, although they are talking about it's Sean Smith and Andy Milligan. Uh, all those that they are talking uh, about purpose, uh, the kind of examples that they are giving are uh, uh, very creative solutions to deal with with things like purpose and, and new kind of business and approach to the business arena. Fantastic. So on purpose. On purpose. Got on it. On purpose. Yeah. Great. Bob, what are you reading these days? Well, less about reading, but more about a podcast that I listen to all the time. Um, it's a little, he's a, little uh, yeah. he's, um, he's a guy that's based out of Austin. His name is Noah Kagan, K-A-G-A-N. Um, he is the CEO of uh, Sumo. So AppSumo, if you've ever bought apps at a discount um, online, he created that. He also runs King Sumo and, and Sumo, this whole Sumo brands plus Senfox. And his whole model is based around creating products for small businesses to sort of be economical, um, get high visibility and 
do those types of um, sort of applications or software systems that allow businesses to scale quickly. The the interesting part with him is a he's a little crazy. Um, he's kind of he's really funny. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, seeing, I'm, seeing a, I'm seeing a theme here on uh, creativity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And <laughs> what, one of the things he does like his podcast is he talks to people who use his products, and his products are pretty widely used. But he talks to small companies that um, use his products. Companies usually between you know a million and ten million dollars. And um, they review, they give intimate details about their businesses, where they're at, where they're stuck at, why they can't get it to go, what their issues are. And he sort of does, um, spends an hour with these companies and goes through a a whole autopsy of what their issues are. And then um, between Noah Kagan himself from seeing all these other businesses and then uh, some of the readers or some of the people who listen, there's, there's sort of a community um, idea build of how to help that person. And then they come back six, three to six months later, and then they talk about the top three or four ideas that were developed out of that conversation and how it worked and what was the financial impact on the business, how did the business grow with it, and so forth. So it's kind of interesting. I enjoy listening to it because you get, there's a lot more, you know, a business where somebody does museums, they do museum museum tours, you wouldn't think would be all that exciting. But there's a whole lot of stuff underneath these businesses that is really creative, um, is a really interesting way to get an idea how to apply something to your own situation. And then to see input from everyone else on the fly um, and have that generate into something else that actually helps somebody move their business along is is pretty, it's a pretty interesting concept. And um, you know, he's not dealing with big corporate Fortune 500s. He's dealing with people who have really risen out of their garages and, and turned a business. So it's it just a, it's a compelling, you know, he does some other stuff in the podcast as well to sort of keep it interesting. But it's really compelling when he does these uh, business autopsies or, you know, dissections. I call it a dissection since they're not, they're still alive. So that's, um, that's awesome. Yeah. That's who I I'm I'm familiar with him, Bob, and he is a he he's a wealth of knowledge, isn't he? He is. It's interesting because he he I think there's a core group in Austin here that runs a ton of e-commerce that got started early, and they've done millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of sales through all of their sort of where they've been involved in, and um, because of that, they just see everything, and because they have that oversight, they have the ability to to sort of pick what. They, they see what works before everybody else sees it or it becomes self-evident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, well, gentlemen, uh, Mark and I want to thank you for joining us. This has been very enlightening and insightful. Uh, we really do appreciate you spending time with us today. Great. No problem. Great. Thank you very much. And, and, and forgive me because my English sounds a little strange, like Chinese. <laughs> But you're anyway. fine. <laughs> your, your creativity is what we were interested in. Yeah, you, you speak better English than me, so uh, don't worry. Yeah. No, 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 I'm sure I'm not. <laughs> okay, th- thank you guys again. We do, we do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Wow, what a great episode to two gentlemen who are just got their finger on the on the pulse of creativity. Yeah, Thanks yeah, and you can tell. Mark. I mean, there's just no shortage uh, for them. Uh, I liked how they talk about you know the more you create, the more you can create. Um, you know, you do build that creative muscle, mm-hmm. uh, which I always thought you could. You know, and many people yeah, say, you know, before. you can, but uh, it's really interesting how they were talking about the tools uh, mm-hmm. that they use. One, one of my takeaways from the interview, if I could just summarize, would be uh, that you're, these uh, gentlemen would espouse that you're creating towards something, that there's a tension, as Christian called mm-hmm. it, or compression, as Bob termed it, um, that, you know, something needs to be solved. And so their creative process, their creative thinking is, is not only inspired by that problem, but really focused on solving that problem. And so they, they each had a model, you know, a, a three by three grid, or in Christian's case, this A, B, C, D, E, um, that was a go-to method. And again, I, I think when we think about creative people, sometimes we think it just comes out of the air. You know, we always have this light bulb. Mm-hmm. Uh, icon that goes with creativity, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a tool and a method that says, I'm going to put the problem at the top of the page. Then I'm going to put some possible solutions. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to put, you know, the design ideas or design thinking and then how we're going to execute it and whether that will work or not and combine some ideas and then we'll see what happens. Um, so I, th- I thought yeah, that, that was, was a, an awesome tool. The, the focus on the problem mm-hmm. and the use of a tool. Mm-hmm. I found uh, very useful. Yeah, I did too. And, you know, and I hadn't heard of that type of system before, but I'm definitely going to integrate that with my own work too, because it's just, I think we need those systems to contain the ideas. Otherwise they just get, you know, just fill up a container with a bunch sure. of stuff. There's no order in there, right? right. And I like that. I mean, there's said, stars in the skies and there's leaves on the trees yeah. and there's clouds in the air and there's ideas. There's ideas. It's like, okay, they're just bouncing around in your head. But, but there's no place for them. What about, about? How we said we've got, you know, what, what did he use? Feasible ideas or wrong ideas or good ideas? And he would categorize them in that sense just yes. so he gets an, a sense of it. Yes. I think the second part was, and I and I uh, felt I might have biased the question, even call it selling your ideas. But, you know, you have these ideas and you want to get sponsors, you want to get clients, you want to get, you know, people to help fund the idea. And uh, I know I was guilty of this when I was coming up as a young creative and a writer and, you know, creative director at ad agencies, uh, that you couldn't believe people couldn't appreciate your idea yeah. instantly. Like, <laughs> it's so genius, <laughs> right? And I think that that uh, the way Christian said, look, you have to know the person you're talking to. Mm-hmm. If they're a deductive mindset, then, you know, you build the story in the beginning, and then this happened, and then there was this conflict, and then we came up with this idea, and here's how it could work. Or if they're in uh, inductive mm-hmm. thinker. Here's the idea, and here's the seven ways you know, that we think. Yeah. So I, I think we as creative people, um, we're going to come up with ideas. We're going to build our creative muscle, but we can be wiser and also mm-hmm. use tools and methods to inspire people to see the creative behind the idea. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, I thought I got a lot out of that discussion. I did too, and both of them talked spoke to that too, how they approach with different types of clients and how they kind of sell that idea. Bob uh, talked about, and I found this fascinating, how he talked about the, uh, 
you know, what, whether the person is uh, looking at their career, you know, and looking at them as a person, helping them succeed, not only their company, because they're a part of the company, but I thought that was a per- little broader perspective, a little more holistic approach. Yes. Really interesting, really fascinating. Yeah. And I think then the, the last point I would make is, uh, and Bob kicked off this idea and Christian built on it, that if you have the customer in mind, the person, you know, and really personalize your creative thinking, um, wow. You know, mm-hmm. and I and I think that you know as well. You know, vision boards, and mm-hmm. you know, if you can envision your idea and really get a clear picture of your creative inspiration, mm-hmm. and uh, but to have the user or the customer or you know a patient in his case uh, for his business, but if you really say I'm working for a person rather mm-hmm. than just I'm trying to come an up abstract, with an idea, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it makes it much more tangible, and it obviously is working for him, and it makes it a gets a better product, get to the heart of it faster. Yeah, definitely. Great. So, uh, you know, two great uh, individuals today, uh, two sides of the world, uh, and Austin and Madrid being great, you know, creative cities. They're obviously getting a lot of creative inspiration. And uh, and we've got more, you know, yeah, great interviews to hops, come. Um, uh, later, we're going to be talking with uh, a creative individual who's uh, really networking and connecting uh, women and business uh, entrepreneurs in Paris. And a uh, researcher, a market analyst, a PhD in New Delhi, India. Great. Uh, we're going to be talking with a, a creative guy in Columbus, Ohio, uh, as well as, you know, a sort of sales professional and, again, very creative individual uh, out of Germany. So, and, and lots of ideas from yeah. there. Definitely. So look for those coming down the line here on A World of Creativity, Inside Enhancing Human Experience podcast. I'm Mark Phillips. And I'm Mark Stenson. We'll see you next time. Thank you. All the best. Health, wealth, and success. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Enhancing the Human Experience, A World of Creativity with Mark Phillips. If you liked this episode and want to know more, check out gmarkphillips.com and please leave us a review on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.